Amen. Thanks so much, guys, for leading us this morning. The songs are so appropriate for this, this Easter morning. And uh, Jesus rose, which is such an important thing for us, and it's such a significant thing. If that had not happened, like Henry said, um, there are so many things in Scripture that we would have to take out. There are so many promises in Scripture that would have to, uh, well, that just would not be true. And so we want to look today at the significance of the importance of the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, I, I trust that today you will just again be in awe of what God has done for you. Now, all of this, as Pastor Steve said Friday, all of this was determined, all of this was motivated by love. A love for you, a love for me. And, uh, and it came to such beautiful completion. Let's pray. Father God, I just ask now as we open up your word. And I just thank you for um, Henry and for the rest of the band, Solid Ground. And just for the way you used them this morning to just draw us into your presence. And Father, I just pray now as we are in this moment of just singing these songs of worship to you and just being reflecting and just caused us to reflect on you, Jesus. I pray now as we continue with these words from your, from your word, I pray, God, that we would just be drawn into just a moment of just a complete awe of how incredible you are, Jesus, and all that you've done for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you wouldn't mind, to Mark chapter 16. And in Mark chapter 16... And we are going to read the story of the resurrection as Mark describes it. And uh, there's, you know, we're not going to spend a lot of time in Mark. I want to spend most of our time in 1 Corinthians and Revelation. We're going to spend some time in those passages because in those passages we see um, the, the results of the resurrection. In Mark here we're going to read what actually happened. And, and, and just so as a refresher and just as a reminder that, that this wasn't something that we're making up. This isn't something I'm saying, hey, Jesus is risen. And so believe it, we're going to look into God's Word and, and it's there. And if you're one of these people that says, I don't know if I believe this. If you're a new Christian or you're just visiting here today and, and you're, you're skeptical about whether or not the resurrection really happened. Well, it did happen. I mean, well, give me more. Well, it did happen. And by faith in God's Word, I believe it. And so we're going to speak from that today, just believing that this is something that happened. If it hadn't happened, there would be so many other questions that we would not be able to answer. And so let's turn to Mark chapter 16. We read this, When the Sabbath was over, which had been yesterday, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Solomon bought spices, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. And so here are these, these three women, they, they're going to go to the tomb and, and they're going to anoint the body of Jesus and the reason for doing that is to preserve the body. They want uh, to go there and they want to make sure that this, that this body doesn't decay too quick, that this body doesn't, you know, all these different things. And, and so they want to go there and anoint the body. It was something that they did in their culture. And, and so these women, they went and this is, you know, they went early in the morning to go buy these spices. Or on the Sabbath, they went to go buy the, um, at the end of the Sabbath, they went to buy the spices. Verse 2, very early on the first day of the week, which would be today, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And here's what they're troubled with. 
As they're on the way to this tomb, they're not wrestling with, well, what are we going to do? You know, what if he hasn't risen yet? What if he's there? You know, what if, you know, what, you know why are we even going? Why did we buy these spices? Because he told us he's going to be raised from the dead. This is not what troubles these women. There, as a matter of fact, you don't get any hint that they're even thinking about the resurrection. Here's what troubles them. And they asked each other, who will roll away the stone? Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? And clearly these ladies are thinking in their brain, they're going, we can't do it. We're not going to be strong enough to do this. Who's going to get the stone away from the entrance? That's what's troubling these ladies on the way to the tomb. Now to me, this raises a number of things. Number one, this is proof to me that Jesus' closest friends and disciples were not expecting the resurrection. And secondly, that they didn't make this stuff up. You know, they were accused after the resurrection that the disciples stole the body and, and that they you know, did these sort of things and that didn't really happen and that they had gone to the wrong tomb and, and on and on the, the little stories went about how this resurrection wasn't true. My question is, if this wasn't true, why would these women go and spend this time buying the spices? Why worry about moving a stone um, if... You already know that your other friends have gone over there and stolen the body. To me, this is just proof that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead. Let's keep reading. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And you can just kind of sense a sigh of relief. and like, oh good, we won't have to move the stone. You've got to understand, at this moment, they're not yet alarmed. They're not yet saying, whoa, what's happened here? Because they were hoping the stone would have been rolled away so that they could go in there and anoint the body of Jesus. At this moment, these ladies aren't going, he must have been risen. Oh yeah, he told us he was going to do this. You don't get any hint that these are the thoughts of these ladies. They're probably just relieved. Oh good, we're not going to have to fight and try to get the stone moved away. We're not going to have to go into town and try to find someone to come and do this for us. They're just relieved that the stone was out of the way. Verse 5. And this is so important that this happened. As they entered the tomb, okay, they entered the tomb. So now we have three first-hand witness accounts of, of witnesses who saw that the tomb was empty. These ladies didn't just stay outside and look in. No, these women were like, oh good, the stone has been rolled away. Let's go in and anoint the body. But they have a little surprise coming their way. As they entered the tomb, they saw... A young man, dressed in a white robe, sitting on the side, right side. And they were alarmed. Now this is surprising. What, whoa, what are you doing here? Like they weren't expecting another person there. They weren't expecting anything alive in that tomb. They were expecting to encounter death. And now they're alarmed. There's a, there's a, a, a man here dressed in white, sitting, waiting for them. Now, I don't know if this is true, so don't ever quote me on this. But I almost get a picture from this, and when you read in Matthew that there are these two other angels that come down, you almost get this picture that these angels were like, i got to go see this myself. You know, I had to sit back, and I had to hold back while they were crucifying Him, and I had to hold back when they, you know, nailed Him to the cross, and when He cried out, you know, it is finished, and, and we couldn't do anything. We were not allowed to go and rescue Him, but now i got to go down there. i got to see this. For myself. That's just me thinking. That's probably not at all what happened, but anyway, that's just something I'm thinking of. Okay. He says this, verse 6. Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. 
And I'm guessing at this point, the ladies are probably like, uh, okay, how did you know that? How did you figure that all out? And this is important. So now the angel has verified. He knows exactly who you are looking for. I know exactly who you're in here for. I know why you've come. I see the spices. I smell the spices. I know what you've come here to do. But I've got news for you. He has risen. He is not here. And then so importantly, he points them and he says, See the place where they laid him. And at that moment, we have the story of Easter. Jesus is risen. And these three ladies, they saw it firsthand. They came there not expecting that Jesus would have been risen. They came there expecting to find death. And the angel says, oh, no, no, no. This tomb is full of life. Jesus is alive. There's no one dead in this tomb. I want us to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 because what I want to do the rest of this time today is look at the significance and the importance of this resurrection. Because it's very possible we could sit there and say, okay, well, that's cool. You know, um, you know Jesus paid for our sins and, and then He rose. And, you know, and that's when we get Easter eggs and we get to go on Easter egg hunts and we get to eat more chocolate than we should ever eat. And tomorrow most of us are going to sit and go, oh, why, why, why? That's not what Easter is about. It is so important that we understand what happened as a result of the resurrection and that this was done for you and I. Paul is addressing the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. And he's addressing this church and, and something has come up in this church. There are people in this church who are saying, there is no such thing as a resurrection. And they're saying, in other words, when you die, you're dead. That's all there is. When you die, there's no afterlife. When you die, it's all finished. Don't worry about it. That's all there is. I was smart this time. I brought water. <clears throat> Listen to what Paul says. Verse 12. But if Christ, if it is preached <coughs> that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? In other words, Paul's saying, if if we've been preaching this stuff, and this is what we have been telling you, this is what we've been preaching to you, how can you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And he continues on with the next if. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Okay? He's arguing down now. Excuse <coughs> me. And he's saying, okay. If you're saying there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ could not have been raised from the dead. The next if. And if Christ was not raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. He's challenging them now and saying, okay, if you believe that there is no resurrection of the dead, then, then Jesus could not have been raised from the dead. And if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead then everything we've been preaching to you and, and everything that you believe, all of Scripture, our belief in a, in a Savior, is all wound up and bound up in the fact that there is a Savior who rose and conquered death. It's a little bit like this. It would be like saying, if I owed Michael a ton of money, and, and I go to pay Michael, I owe him this. This is a debt that I owe and Michael's like, I ain't taking your money, which he'd be crazy to do, but Michael's maybe crazy, and he'd just do that. He'd be like, I ain't taking your money. 
And I end up having to, you know, no, Michael, here, you, I, I worked hard for this, and I sacrificed, and I, and I did all kinds of things. Here, this is money I owe you. And Michael never takes the money. In his mind, he could technically write down, price not paid. Never was completed. Because he didn't receive the gift. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, it would not be complete. The payment would have been made. But God could say, it's not enough. Because the very payment that he paid, he couldn't conquer it. And so Paul is arguing away here, saying, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then your faith is useless. And he continues on, more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses of God. For we have testified about God and that He raised Christ from the dead. But He did not raise Him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And here's the next if. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sin. In other words, it's, it wasn't enough. It wasn't conquered then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. And if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Paul's saying, if those people who died as Christians, if there is no resurrection, then those people are lost. And he's saying, if we do all of this, if we live this life, if we are obedient to Christ, if we follow His commands, if we do all of this only for here on earth, we are to be pitied more than all men. In other words, why would you put yourself through all of this if there is no afterlife? Because if you're saying there is no resurrection, Jesus hasn't been raised, which means there's no point in following Him here on earth. You're only making life difficult. But then verse 20, the beautiful promise. But Jesus, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. You understand this. Through Adam, sin entered the world. And so as in Adam all died, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn. Christ, the first fruit, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God kingdom to God, the Father who has, been, who has destroyed all dominions, authorities, and power. For He must reign until He has put all this under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This is, to me, just such a beautiful passage where Paul, in a very beautiful way, outlines the significance of the resurrection of Jesus. And his argument, in my mind, is so clear. That if Jesus rose, if Jesus rose, then all these things that we need, all these things that we um, need in order to be saved, have all been completed. And the angel said to the women, He is risen. In other words, it is all complete. I want to now turn to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. Some of you are like, spooky revelation. No, not at all. Beautiful, beautiful passage. Revelation chapter 4. Here we see John describing the throne of heaven, throne in heaven and, and the throne of God. 
And John wrote this book on the island of Patmos, and, and the angel showed him these visions, and God showed him these things, and, and he was told, write these things down. And so John has been writing about the churches, and now in chapter 4 and chapter 5 are these incredible passages of what it will look like when we are worshiping God in heaven. In chapter 4 he begins and he says there, you know, he saw before him the throne of God and he, and he sees these creatures going around the throne, worshiping and praising God. Let's pick it up in verse 6. Also, before the throne was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. So you have a representation of the wild beast. The second one's like an ox. So you have the, the tamed animals. The third was like a man, so humanity. The fourth was like a flying eagle. So you have the, the birds of the air. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and they covered and was covered with eyes all around. Even under their wings. Day and night, they never stop saying. So here's what these creatures, they're circling around the throne, and this is what they're saying. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to who lives... I mean, start over. Verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to Him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you're, You created all things, and you, and by Your will they were created." And have their being. Here we just get a glimpse. It's like John backing up a little bit and saying, okay, I'm going to describe to you the big picture of what is happening here. And what he sees is these creatures going around the throne again and again. And you can just kind of picture them just going around day and night, they are going around the throne. And every single time they go around the throne, they see more that they notice about God. And every time they go around the throne, they again see something new that they need to cry out and say, Holy, holy, holy. And they go around again and they see even more about God that makes them say, Holy, holy, holy. Worshipping the Almighty God. I remember when I was a little kid, when I think about going to heaven, I remember someone's thinking, this is going to be the most boring place on earth. Because all we're going to do is sit there and say, holy, holy, holy. You know, like, wow, where is, you know, the joy of that? And we're going to sing songs like, worthy, worthy. You know, and, and I just remember thinking, like, seriously? And, uh, and people are saying, oh, we get to heaven, we're just going to worship Jesus forever. And I'm wow, okay. You know what I sense, though, in these verses? I don't sense that these angels, I don't sense that these creatures are doing this reluctantly. When they see, I want you to catch this, when they see the throne of God, they are in absolute awe. And every time they come around, they see more that they are in absolute in awe of. And they go around again. And I would say to this day, they are going around and around and around, and they are declaring, Holy, holy, holy 
is the Lord God Almighty. This is who, this is who loves you. Verse five, chapter 5. John has given us the big picture in chapter 4 of what's happening here. And then he turns to chapter 5 and, and you kind of picture it like a movie. And, he, and he's been showing us the wide angle. And now he zooms in to the throne, to the very center. Listen to what he says. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, this is God, seated on the right hand of, you know, and the the creatures are going around. He goes, and then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, on the throne a scroll with writings on both sides and a seal it was seven seals. You got to read that again. I think I read that wrong. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writings on both sides and a seal, and sealed with seven seals. Now you might be saying, well, what's with the se- uh, you know, writing on both sides and the seals? There's some different angles on this, but most of the commentaries that I read, they said this was symbolic of that day of a contract or a will. Okay, so in the throne, on the throne in the right hand of God, the creatures are going around and around. This wasn't just some document that like, ah, you know, whatever. This was a a sealed document writing on both sides. This was a contract or a will. One commentary said this had to be carried out. This document had to be opened. It had to be carried out. This wasn't just some document that wasn't of any importance. This was on the, in the right hand of the person of God sitting on the throne. The holy, holy, holy God. He's holding this thing in his right hand and John is describing this as something that has to be opened. This has to be fulfilled. What's in that scroll has to be made known to humanity, to the world. Verse 2. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming. And this angel has to be mighty because listen to what the angel has to proclaim. And his voice has to go to all the world. His voice has to go to heaven, earth, and under the earth. Everywhere this voice has to be heard. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seal and open the scroll? This angel is declaring and calling out, Who can open the scroll? Who can open the scroll? It has writings on both sides and it has, it's in the hand of God, in the right hand of God. This scroll has to be opened. Who can open the scroll? And you can just, in a sense, hear the booming voice of this angel running all over creation. Who can open the scroll? This must be opened. This must be opened. Who can open the scroll? Verse 3, we have the, the bad news the horrible news but no one in heaven and on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside john saying no one in heaven no gods no creature no nobody on earth no human or under the earth no spirit was worthy to open the scroll, and I love this, or even look inside. No one could even take a peek. Almighty God is holding this thing out in His right hand. And the angel is declaring, who can open it? And finally the the verdict comes back, there is nobody. Nobody can do it. And if you think this is no 
big deal. Listen to John's response in verse 4. He says, And I wept and wept, because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. John is in absolute despair. Absolute anguish. And he breaks down and he just, he's weeping. And he's weeping. Because he understands if this thing is in the hand of God, this is not some petty little document. And if this thing is in the hands of God and has writing on both sides and it has to be opened, it has to be fulfilled, then what are we going to do if no one can open it? And the despair of this moment, if this thing has to be opened and no one can be found to open it, and John just breaks down and he just, he doesn't know what to do with himself and he just weeps and weeps and weeps because this scroll needs to be opened but no one can open it. And then the good news comes, verse 5. Then the, then one of the elders said, and you can just kind of picture John, and, and I don't know if you've ever been in a moment of absolute despair. I know sometimes when you go to a hospital and there's people, you know, they're just, they can't believe what just happened. They just heard the, the horrible news of an accident or, or a death or something. And you go into the hospital and you're like, you know, and you say something and all focus is on whoever's speaking. Because what you're, you're looking for some comfort. You're looking for something that's going to somehow ease the despair that you have. And I just pictured John, as soon as this elder starts speaking, just immediately staring at this elder. Give me something. Give me some good news. Help me get through this. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So there is the incredible news. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, of the root of David, he has triumphed. The angel saying, look, Jesus, Jesus, he has triumphed. He's from the root of David. He is the lion of Judah. He has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll. When you have this image of a lion, you picture a lion as the, the mighty king of the jungle. And if you're a Narnia fan, you, you picture Aslan. I don't know if you've watched any of the movies and when things get really crazy and everybody's going crazy and, and he's being accused and, and all of a sudden Aslan will do one of those, I won't do it out loud, but... Oh, okay, some of the kids are like, I'm awake again. You know, at least no kids crying. Good. You know, so it gets loud. What happens in the movie? Dead silence. No one is going to take on the king of the lion of the jungle. No one is going to take on the lion who has triumphed. And this elder saying, Look, the lion. I just picture John now taking his gaze off this elder and turning it towards where he's pointing, where the lion is. And listen to what John says. Then I saw a lamb. Then I saw a lamb. That's not bad enough. That's not bad enough. As if one who had been slain. Jesus. Standing at the center of the throne. Encircled 
by the four living creatures and the elders. The Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits. The Lamb, I'll start over. The Lamb, who had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. John saying, I looked over, and there I saw a lamb. But in this lamb, I see the seven horns, I see the seven eyes, I see the seven spirits of God. In other words, in this lamb, I see completion. In this lamb, I see that everything is done. John sees a lamb that appears as of slain, but is very much alive. John sees a lamb who has clearly endured brutality. Who has endured the harshest punishment. And yet the lamb is alive. A lamb who is worthy above all else. A lamb who could do what no one else was found worthy to do. And in Jesus, you have the lion and the lamb. In Jesus, you have the totality of both the victory from death and the price of death. The totality of the victory over death and the price that had to be paid in order for humanity to be saved. And John, when he looks upon this lamb, he sees that this is the lamb. This is the one who has paid the price. And when the elder looks at this area, he sees the lion who has triumphed. And when the creatures, four creatures go around the throne, they see God declaring Him, holy, holy, holy. You want a beautiful picture of the Trinity. You want a beautiful picture of the completion work of God. There it is, right there on the throne. I believe that today, there are still many people, in a symbolic kind of way, they're weeping and weeping. And maybe you're like that today. You're weeping and weeping and weeping because you have things in your life that you can't fix. There's things going on in your life and you're like, who is going to, who can do this? Who can save me from this? Who can rescue me from this? Why do I feel so discouraged? Why am I so unhappy? Why is there no peace in my life? Why is there no victory? Why, why, why? Who can rescue me? And you have tried all kinds of things and I'm here to declare to you today, Jesus. Jesus can give you whatever you need. Jesus paid the price. And then he triumphed. I'm going to ask the band to come up. We want to just today lift up the name of Jesus. Because it's Jesus who has done this for us. And Pastor Pete is going to just you know, do some artwork here for us. And I want us, you don't know the song all that well, but some of you know it really well. So you need to sing extra loud to, to make this song really echo through this place. But we want to lift up the name of Jesus today because He is the one who has done all this for us. I want to read the rest of this passage. And I just feel it's appropriate. It's like you can't sit through this. And so I want to invite you to stand as we read through the rest of this passage today. Verse 7. 
the lion and the lamb, he came and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twelve, twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Remember, these are the elders, these are the creatures who have been singing holy, holy, holy. And here is the new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men from God, from every tribe and language, people and nation. You have made them to be the kingdom and the priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voices of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands upon ten thousands. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they said, here's thousands and thousands of angels echoing this out and they said, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them singing. And so now the, the choir gets bigger and bigger, and the voices go louder and louder. And now they sing this song to Jesus. To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Jesus, Jesus, you have both triumphed and paid the price. And so Jesus, we lift you up this morning. Because you are the one who has rescued us from our sins. You are the one who conquered what we could never ever conquer. You are the one who paid for what we could never ever pay. So Jesus, we lift you up now. Because you are worthy. You are the only one found worthy. That is why your name is above every name. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Please help us sing this song. You came down. earth you fought was not your home. A love like this the world had never known. Let's try that verse again. You came down from heaven's throne. 
Jesus, Son of God. He took our sin, He bore our shame, He rose to life, You defeated grave. A love like this, the world has never
Amen. You guys dismissed. <laughs>